Well, welcome back to the When I Heard This Podcast. My name is Nate Robinsoff, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. What's up? What's up, my man? Not much. Cool. Yeah, man. Good intro. Today, we're going to be talking about something about, like, uh, like the perfect Christian life, like, what that should look like, like, if <laughs> Joseph... If Joseph could design someone's perfect Christian existence, what would that look like? And how would everything be better than not doing that? So I'm creating the perfect Christian. You are environment. You are, you are telling me what the environment is for the best Christian at the end of their life right so we're going to design the greatest 100 <laughs> years for any one person to live right <laughs> fantastic right okay so anyway first off go to patreon five dollars click all the buttons all around the things like and subscribe and follow and other of the buttons um so i guess my first question mm -hmm. is when I'm born, I'd be a baby. Yes, you would. So what does my life look like if everything around me was perfectly Christian up until that point? And I'm not saying that, like, we live during Adam and Eve. Like, there's okay. still evil out there. Okay. But if my parents are trying to do the best to make sure I'm a Christian when I'm... 18 and leave their house mm -hmm. what are they doing when i'm born to ensure that okay so first off we're we're, we're saying this is not a utopian environment right this is not utop this is this is not joseph tillman mdiv christian utopia <laughs> got it you know <laughs> perfect world yeah okay right and then secondly trump's not in the white house forever you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And so, and so we're, but we're also, the way you presented that was that there's, there's that biological mother and father are living together and are Christians as well. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, that's what, that's the base assumption that I would have. Okay. If, the goal when I'm born is right. to have me be the perfect, you know, what, what is it? Yeah. Okay. So, so yes, that's where we're starting. All right, so that's the starting point. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I guess I would first, and, and again, we're doing this kind of exercise, right? Right. But just a thought exercise, but obviously to grow up as a Christian and to be raised in a Christian home, my my parent, like, I can be born to a single mom. Okay. Okay? Right. And so that's Who not, is a Christian? Who's a Christian. But that's not your ideal. Well, I mean, obviously, for any of us, we would say that the ideal is, yeah, you have a, that the biological father and mother of any child are married or Christian following the Lord, and they have a child, right? Like okay. That's that's the ideal. Well, that's okay. the answer I'm looking for. All right, so yeah. that's that's the ideal. Okay. okay. So, but, yeah, 
So I guess we'll we'll discuss later on, maybe another episode or something, what it looks like when it's not that way. When it's not ideal. When it's this not is ideal. the ideal. Right. Okay. So I'm born. Uh-huh. Where do I live? Uh, is there a place that you would ideally hope like, I live? Are we talking about like a geographical location? Yes. Yeah. Like in the United States of America? Yes. You want to grow up in... Let's do the U.S. <laughs> because that's obviously the perfect place? No. It's just because that's where we're at presently. Because that's where we're at, and that's what we said we were going to okay. talk the about at the of start of our audience is this. Podcast. Okay. All right. So, we're growing up in the United States of America. Are you wanting to say there's a better geographical location within the United States? I'm wondering if you think there's a better geographical location in the United States. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I'm biased. I mean, I'm I'm born and raised in South Georgia, mm-hmm. so take me to South Georgia. But there's problems <laughs> with that. Like, there's problems with everywhere. Can I say that? Yeah. There's problems with everywhere because I know the first thought would be, all right, well, let's make sure the kid is born in the Bible Belt, where there's a strong okay. church community and culture. But the problem with that is you end up with a lot of social Christians. As well, what's that mean? So they're, in, in other words, they're 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 Christian in name only, not okay. not in their lifestyle, not in their values, not in what they pursue are pursuing. Okay. And so, like in other words, they were born in the Bible Belt. They grew up going to church. Now they've got kids, and so now they're going to church. So my again. perception of what a Christian is could be just saying I am one. <laughs> Right. Instead of actually doing anything about it. Right. Whereas, like, you could grow up in another environment. Like, so let's say you grew up in a in a state that was known as being, quote, unquote, very liberal, right? Mm-hmm. And you might want to say, well, we don't want our kids growing, growing up in that environment. And maybe that's true for some people. But the reality is it's very clear cut. You mean, like, who's a Christian and who's and not? And who's not. Right. Like, it's pretty clear cut. Like, people are going to be like, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian. So would it be better to grow up where the the poles are farther opposite if I'm going to grow up a Christian in that kind of environment or no? Man, that's I think see I think that's where we get into pros and cons. Right. Because the the pros is it's clear cut. But the con is now you're growing up in an environment with a cultural worldview that's very anti-Christian. Right. And by anti, I just mean it's different than it's, you know. And so so there's pros and cons. How about that? Okay. Growing up anywhere. So I don't know if there's this great, perfect location to be born. So I, in one situation, like, so you're looking at two extremes. So one situation would be I am am like a, a fence sitter in the end. (laughs) <laughs> potentially yeah right or or just like yeah whatever christians but there's more people around that are doing that so that's what i think everything is mm-hmm. or i have the potential to go all the way to the other side immediately right because school just all of society right you know values would be so different okay than a christian Right, and so that a Christian values would be. So I, I think you know, and I understand like we're going to extremes mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Um, so I guess I just want to say I don't, I don't know if there's a this great perfect place, right? 
You know, <laughs> again, I, I, I started off saying I grew up in South Georgia. I like South Georgia. Um, but I don't, again, I don't know if there's some great magical place for a Christian to be born. I think the, the biggest thing to me is not about the geographical location. It's about the faith community. Okay. So in other words, I think that ends up having more impact than just the greater cultural surroundings. Okay. So in other words, like, so you're born and you're raised up in a church that's a vibrant, life-giving, you know, spirit-filled, loving Jesus church. To me, that environment is more conducive to a child growing up and remaining in the faith than what's going on in the outside okay. world, if that makes sense. And not that they're sheltered, just that the faith community makes it very evident and present. Hey, this is where life is. So, um, and, but when you also talk about like, where am I born? I also want to say, I think sometimes we can think about like, all right, so what is, what is the kind of house I have or count kind right. of place I'm living? You know, do I have the, do my parents have a house with the white picket fence and live in a subdivision and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, man, I, I, I would, I would, I would hope that. So I'm born, and my parents were following Jesus, and hopefully they have a space, whether that is a rental house, an apartment, a, uh, 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 you know, one story home. Uh, you know, it's twelve hundred square feet, or whether it's a house that's two story and two thousand plus square feet. Uh, uh, to me, I would hope that wherever they were living, they were living in a place that worked within their budgetary means, and they weren't doing it to just try to impress people, like trying to live to a certain standard, but that rather they were living in a place that was within their budgetary means to ensure that we were not financially being strapped just all the time. Because of living in a place we can't. I mean, it's one thing to be living paycheck to paycheck because that's just where you're at. But it's another thing to do it because you've put yourself in a financial position that's your own doing of living somewhere where you can't really afford. So I'm 10. Okay, you're 10 years old. I'm 10 years old. All right. 10-year-old Nate. This is how I ask the questions. <laughs> okay. Because I I came up with this prompt, right? I think, right? right? Yeah. yeah, you did. And so I was like, hey, Joseph, if, if I was perfect, if... If I had happened to lived a perfect Christian life uh-huh. my entire life, where would I be at now? You, you know, right. Dif- compared to this, <laughs> <laughs> compared, compared to, to compared to my present reality. To my, yes. Okay. So, okay, I'm ten. Right. What? Where should my parents be at? Should they be richer? Um. Because they followed Jesus, you know, uh, should I be in should I be in Christian school like I was? Should I be what should I be doing? Yeah, so uh, hopefully your parents are still intentionally following Jesus, and hopefully your parents are intentionally um, doing what they can do to make their marriage stronger. Um, hopefully your parents are not putting you before themselves 
but are putting one another above the kids even. Um, what, 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 what does that mean? Yeah. So like, all right, so I'm married. We have three kids. So my wife mm-hmm. is of a, so my, my, not that I don't love my kids. Obviously I do, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I can already see these, this look in your eye of I'm about to destroy you, Joseph, and trap you. Um, but like the greatest gift we can give to our kids is that we have a strong marriage. So we're not going to build our lives around our kids. Okay. We're going to ensure that we have a strong marriage and that we are intentional and loving and caring for our kids, but our kids are not our universe. In other words, my kids are not first. It's my wife first and then my kids. So so you you have a strong marriage and ignore your children so that <laughs> Your children can grow up and realize that they need to have a strong marriage and ignore their children. <laughs> I never said we ignore <laughs> the children, but at the same time, is my wife first priority? Yes, she is. Okay, and then my kids. And so okay. I think what happens is that gets all flipped around, and then you make the kids the center of the universe. And then what happens to so many parents is they grow apart because they're not actually investing in each other. They're just investing in their kids. Okay. And I think that's a horrible mistake. All right. So if your wife and your three kids were mm-hmm. all dying in a hedge maze <laughs> and, and you had to run in, you were the only one around, they're dying in a, in a hedge maze right. that's on fire. <laughs> and you had to run in. And go save them. Uh-huh. Would you run past your children to find your wife? Would I run past my children? Yeah. Would you run past your burning children to go find your burning wife? It's to save her, but not them. Yes. No. Well, that doesn't sound like what you just said. <laughs> I know. Thanks for the ethical <laughs> decisions here. And so, but no, but I wouldn't expect her to do the same. I would expect her to, I would, so if it was the other way around and I'm the one burning in the maze, right? Yeah. Not, not her. I would expect her to grab the kids and not me. But that doesn't sound like putting your marriage first above your children. No, we, we put our marriage first, right? We put our marriage first. But in a, that kind of life and death situation where there are no good answers, there's no good. There's no good solution to this, right? Right. You, someone's. If you're. If you're an ethic, like we're having this. That's why I presented it. I'd understand. <laughs> and so it's like the same ethical discussion of, right? If I've got the, um, if I've got the one elderly person who's drowning in, you know, the ocean, and I've got the. 10 kids over there and I can save one, the, either the 10 kids or the one older person, who do you save? No, it'd be the other way around. It'd be one kid and 10 elderly people. Okay, you could do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you save, right? Well, combined potential years. <clears throat> I know. And then that gets into the whole discussion of well, what do we value? What are we saying about the sanctity of life? Right. Which is a whole... But we're not doing that episode. We're not doing that episode. Not today, at least. I would love to do that episode, though. Um, I have a lot to say about the whole (laughs) ethical side of things, the sanctity of life. But anyway, 
Um, no, so in that situation, am I saving the kids? Yeah, I'm, I'm saving the kids. If you see them first. If I see them first, I'm saving the kids. Okay. Yeah. You're because, not going to grab the kid and, you know, try to blow the fire out and then... <laughs> And then run to find your wife. You're going to go back the way you came and put the kid out there and then potentially run back in and go. Yeah, I mean, we got so many variables going on here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How much time do I have? Right. How far away are they from the entrance? How far away is the wife from the children? The Shining Hedge Maze. <laughs> You've never so, seen The Shining. No. Okay. All right. Never mind. And so the. Back to 10. Back to 10. <laughs> so. So I'm in school. Where you're, should I be in school? Well, you're 10 years old, so you're in elementary school. Yep. And are you asking me, like, what school should you be going to? Like, like, should I be at a school that is pushing Christianity? Should I be in a school that is general, mm-hmm. like public school? Mm-hmm. Should my parents be looking for a school that is, or for looking to me to take a path in school that is going to lead me toward a trade that's going to make me money mm-hmm. that isn't you know useless <laughs> and you know like what should how should school look if i'm like you're 10 years old because yeah. i went to christian school okay. and to me it felt like a lot of stuff got ignored that we 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 spent time on jesus when we could have spent time on school uh, I got gotcha. you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So then I got to public school in eighth grade, and I was way behind everybody. Okay. So is but the thought process was that this Jesus stuff is more important, I guess, than mm-hmm. me learning how to do math. So <laughs> okay. So how do you weigh that? Where should I be if you yeah. you know if you're the one? If if you're the one creating this perfect existence for this human, what are you doing? Right. Um, yeah. So first of all, I re- okay. I want to say this off the bat. I realized that regardless of the perfect environment that I create for a child, mm-hmm. that that does not determine if they will actually follow Jesus or not. I realized that up front. Okay. Like, so I realized that for our kids, we are making the best decisions that we know to make for them Mm -hmm. as far as church, as far as school, as far as extracurricular activities. We're going to do the best that we can to put them in, in an environment that is conducive to them learning growing as individuals, as people, and as children of God, but we realize that at the end of the day, they are going to end up making their own choices at some point in time. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm prefacing, I'm going to say that to say that I am going to answer your question, but I also understand that from this point forward, like, we're going to create a lot of these ideals, but that's all they are is ideals. Right. They're not, like, it's not a guarantee for anything. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, so basically you're saying a parent could do everything as perfect as they think they can give their child, but their child still has to make their own decision at the end of the day. Correct. And okay. So yeah, because, but do I think that parents should make the best decisions they can? Right. 
Absolutely. Right. And because then they never have regrets. So that's what I'm asking. Right. So for an elementary age child, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess my, my thought process would be like, I'm not like anti-public school. Okay. okay. But at the same time, I am aware that depending on where one lives, the public school system can be teaching values and morals that I don't want my children being taught. Okay. Because I want to be able to have those conversations with my kids myself without another adult pushing an agenda on my kids. Okay. And so is it possible that no matter what age your kid is, that they're, if I've done my job up till that as a parent, if I had done my job as a parent up until that point, that they would not, they, they'd be immune to that ideology being pushed on them. I think at a certain age, you have to trust that your kid has the critical thinking abilities. Okay. I think as a 10 year old, the 10 year old's not there. Okay. And so I would say that for me, for, I mean, we have a 10 year old, so I can, I'm really relating to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that for me, I, I'm wanting my child to be in an environment where the, and again, public school is fine if there's not anything being pushed because the, for, because I believe that who is imparting the most about Jesus and the word is the, that's the responsibility of the parent. In other words, that's not just the school's responsibility. Because when I was in when I was in Christian school, the only reason I remember hearing about that we weren't going there was because they were teaching evolution. Okay. And when I got older, I was just like, "Well, you could have just told me that part's not true." Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, uh, and I could have gone to public school for free, <laughs> or whatever. Right. Yeah. But sure, you you could have just. Told me that was not right. And, hey, here's the actual story and showed me the actual story. Right. And I agree with that. Yeah. I agree. If it's something as simple as that, I I do agree with that. Okay. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's the, the, to me, the issue is the, is the morals and values. Okay. Agenda, as opposed to something like that, where you're, or that's a theory that's being Taught. You know, taught. Right. When there's very clear factual evidence that, or just just as just as reasonable responses from the Christian side toward the idea of evolution and how to understand evolution within a Christian worldview. Right. Okay. That's a whole other episode it is. also. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that on another time as well. All right. So back to being 10 in a school. Yeah. I, I, and then you brought earlier the fact that this the your school that you went to was very like here's a whole lot of Jesus and we're not going to give you a whole lot of academics right um, that would bother me a lot because I value education so much okay. um, and again I'm married I'm married to a school teacher okay so um, you know she taught in public school for seven years and right but you value education a bunch but your whole life is Jesus now. But not this unreasonable thing. I mean, I'm still in school because I value education. <laughs> right, but so the school much. is all Jesus. 
It's a lot of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of Jesus. Um, so why wouldn't you want your, like... Yeah, since, because... Since you're... You, yeah, you're, because I... Okay. Because I'm called, me, personally... Okay. I'm called to be a pastor. Right. So as a pastor, I believe it's my responsibility to know the Bible as well as I possibly can. Mm. It doesn't mean I know it perfectly. It doesn't, I mean, like, I know more now than I did five years ago, and that will be true in five more years, right? Okay. So um, I'm, I wanted to grow in the Bible. I wanted to grow in the Word. I wanted to understand apologetics. I'm wanting to understand doctrine and theology. I'm wanting to understand spiritual leadership, those things. Because those are the, that's the world I live in. Right. Right? That's my, that's my life. That's my calling. That's my, that's my vocation. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee that that's the case for my kids. Right. So if I'm parenting a 10-year-old child, I don't know what that child's calling is. More than li- I mean, more than likely mm-hmm. at 10 years old. And so I'm wanting that child to, and, and I'll say this too, regardless of calling, even if they are called to <laughs> be a pastor, be in, be in ministry, I want them to be, I want them to, I, I just believe there's a progression in the way that we can teach kids that helps them think through things later on, regardless of the calling they have on their life or the vocation they have. And I think that we have to expose our kids to different fields because different fields are going to interest them. So that's the argument for core classes in college. Yeah, that's the argument for, for core classes in okay. college. To expose students to a lot of different things right. and that they, oh man, that may be what ends up being interested, you know, interested in them. And I think the same thing can be said for a 10-year-old child. Like, so I want my 10-year-old to, I, I mean, at 10 years old, you're teaching them facts, okay. right? You're teaching them, here's information, right? Mathematically, here's information. Mm-hmm. History-wise, Here's historical facts, places, events, dates, right? Mm. People. And same thing. So you're, you're reading. We're going to you know, teach you to read and, and continue to have you read books that are pushing your reading level. Okay? And you're not just your ability to read, but to comprehend. So we're working on comprehension and we're working on grammar and we're working on spelling and all those important parts. Um, and, you know... And so there's and and they're being exposed to science and they're learning about basic you know science scientific things and I think all of that is actually really needed for our kids. Like here's a groundwork, here's a base foundation of all of these things academically. So what I'm saying is, if you're going to choose a school that is Christian, that's fine, but make sure they're focused on the academics. Like, okay. I don't mind them having a chapel time every day or, you know, if, if there's a Bible curriculum that's part of the overall academic, great. But I don't want that. I don't want Bible to be taught, you know, for five out of seven hours, my kids in school. Not because I don't value the Bible, but because I value my child learning the basic foundations of academia. And so, which I think, the you know, for me, is that factual part first. And then we're, you know, we're going from kind of factual part to then we're going to start logically thinking through things. And then from logically thinking through things, then we're going to be able to really move on and critically think and also be able to speak and discuss it or write about it critically. And so. So all of it, 
it sounds like you're saying all of it like leads back to Jesus. <laughs> like I need you to be able to articulate to someone the historical reasons why you believe in Jesus. No, no, no. Like, okay, that's fine if that happens. Okay. But what I'm also saying is, no, I mean, I want my, like, let's say I've got a kid that is absolutely in love. So we're moving beyond the 10 year old at this point. Okay, go ahead. All right. So now my kid's in middle school. Right. Okay. So now the kid's in middle school and, um, and they are, they move past, you know, kind of the, in classical education, what would be referred to as the grammar stage, which is the factual and the information part. They're moving past that to a point of critically or logically thinking. Okay. So they're learning logic. Right. We'll learn how to logically, reasonably think through things. And I think that helps them not only in relation to Bible and apologetics and those kind of things, but I also think it helps them to be able to think through things just through life, in life. Okay. To be able to logically think, to be able to hear someone say something and go, that doesn't logically make sense. Right. Like, that's just fallacious. That doesn't, that's just wrong. And and so I think that's a huge part for our kids, regardless of it's, whether it's Bible or worldview stuff. I mean, if they're having a discussion on science, like, say, for example, I am all for, like, I champion, actually, individuals that have a passion for science that are Christians and want to go into the scientific field. Uh Like, because there's some, there's this idea that science is somehow, like, opposed to Christianity. And I go, no, that's just not true at all. I think we've had a little bit of this discussion before. And so, but, you know, so in other words, I'm wanting my child to be exposed to all these things and learn to logically think through all these things, because that may be what they end up doing, Mm -hmm. whether it's in the field of science or the field of history or in literature or in mathematics. And then, of course, you know, you get further down the road into your social sciences. But I've, you know, I feel like to me, or, or, or it could be languages, whatever it is. But to think through just critically thinking is just a, you know, logically thinking is just a human skill to me that needs mm-hmm. to be taught that we just don't teach much. I mean, like, right? I mean, we don't teach much. I know for me, I wasn't taught to critically think in, in school. I was just told, memorize this, take the test, good job. That was my education. Okay. All right? I'm not saying that's everybody else's education. That was my education was... You go, go home, cram, you know, take in yeah. as much factual information or information about the material you're reading as possible, regurgitate it back. Good, good job. See, I don't know if I was taught to critically think or if I just did it. Yeah. And that was how. <laughs> yeah, because you're a critical thinker by nature, it yeah. seems. It seems it comes. And yeah, I don't know if you were taught that or not, but like, yeah, I, I know, know for me, I wasn't. Okay. In, in, in like, in grade school, up through high school, like, I wasn't, I was not taught to critically think. So you're just going with the flow, man? Absolutely. I'm just making those grades. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just lazy and making grades, <laughs> right? I'm lazy, making friends. Hey, you're making grades, hanging out with friends. That's what I'm doing. C plus? <laughs> no, I didn't. I Time didn't. to party. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I did I did okay, okay. school wise and not great, but <laughs> enough to go to college. That that was good. Right, right, um, right, right, right. And so, um, but you know, 
it, it really wasn't, I think, until college when I was really, when I was at university, that's, that's when it really started to push. And then by the time I got to grad school, that's when it was kind of an overload at that point of having to learn to think logically and oh, okay. critically because I had to. But I think that I, I wish I had been taught those skills earlier on because I felt right. like I was playing catch up. Okay. To a, to a to a large degree, you know, like I would hear some of my classmates talk, and I would go, "Wow, <laughs> they're on a different plane than I am," you know. And and did we did we read the same <laughs> textbook? Right. And then realizing that the questions they're they're asking themselves as they're reading that text, like I wasn't asking questions while reading the text. Oh, okay. I was just getting information from the text. Right. Two completely different ways of, mm. <laughs> of reading something. <laughs> and so and so I just feel like that that whole aspect was just lost on me. You know, I mean, not that we didn't do some basic reading comprehension, but even in basic reading comprehension of school, I feel like it was still more of like, all right, but what did Johnny say to Susie? Right. It was not a mm. it wasn't this hardcore critically logically thinking through something. Mm-hmm. So Okay, so now I'm in high school. You're in high school. I don't know if this is a theory or something mm-hmm. or whatever, but there's people that would say like, hey, like there's a phrase out there. I can't remember what it is. It's like, let them let them go experiment or something or let them go. Sow their wild oats. R- right. Sow their wild oats or or they got to they gotta go get hit so they you know they they you got to get in a fight to know that you don't want to like don't put your hand on the stove right right like hey go put your hand on the stove a few times and realize that everything that we told you when you were a kid was the right thing mm-hmm. so and and that's people's views like high school into early 20s college whatever you're doing at that point um so what do you think of that i think the like we're going to intentionally throw them out into the wolves or intentionally push them out into the world um, just to go explore things to, to see what's right or wrong. I think that's a bad idea. Okay. But, but let me make sure I'm framing it that in a way that doesn't come across as I want to shelter my kids. Okay. So I don't want to shelter my kids either. And I, and I know it's a, like, it's a fine line. What I guess I'm saying is, I realize as a parent that, all right, so we, all right, so we're going back to this ideal situation. Right. Parents are still following Jesus. They've got a child in high school. And so at that point, the parents have laid a foundation with their kids mm-hmm. of the word. All right, they've done it. Not the school, not church. Right. They've done it. School and church is just reinforcing Okay. What parents are talking about at the home. Whether it's positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, it's reinforcement of what they've talked about in the home. Right. Okay. Yeah, because I, I feel like, so my my conversations, like I want to have conversations with my kids that are, that are, that are honest about Jesus and the word, but also honest about where they are in their stage of life and their development. Mm. And, and like, so when we're having the sex talk, for example, like I'm doing that really early on. I'm not waiting for my kid. Like two years old. <laughs> Maybe not two years okay. old. Right. But let's say, 
you know, fourth, fifth grade, right? I'm having that, con- excuse me, I'm starting to have the basics of that conversation with my kid. Okay. Um, and then when I know they're going through puberty. What's the basics? Really? We're going to do this now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like. I want to know what Joseph Tillman. <laughs> MDiv. MDiv. Soon to be D-Men uh, is saying. Wait, what? D-Men? D-Men. Yeah, that's my doctorate. Doctor of ministry? Uh-huh. Doctorate in ministry? Uh-huh. Okay. Doctor okay. of ministry. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting title. <laughs> Whatever. It's just a title. That's all it is. Everyone's going to be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? D-Men? Yeah. He's a demon? He's a demon. <laughs> That's not terrible. Yeah. What kind of what kind of religious guy is this? Wow. <laughs> um, all right. So basics. Is that where we're going with this? <laughs> no, you can skip to the next. All thing. right. So yeah. So like, I'm wanting to I'm wanting to have a conversation with with my kids about. All right. Hey, let's let's talk about sex. Let's talk about drugs. Let's talk about alcohol. Let's talk about relationships with not just the opposite sex, but with friends, with peers, um, the way you're going to, you know, as a, as a young person that feels like they're quote unquote, getting close to becoming an adult, how do you now relate to adults? And so I'm, I'm going to have all those conversations with our kid our kids and and so I'm not depending on a church or a youth group or a youth leader to have to tell my kids what to think about that. Okay. And I'm not telling them what to think. I'm telling them this is how I think about these things. Okay. This is where I get that from in within the Bible. And then it is up to them as they continue to grow older to make those decisions. Okay. About do I hold to what dad taught or mom taught? Do I hold to what scripture taught? Or do I begin to see it differently? Do I receive that, accept that, or do I reject that? Am I, or do I just become indifferent toward it? Okay. And so I realized that as my kids are, so this ideal situation where you get this high school kid and the parents have done everything right mm-hmm. in terms of having the right conversations, laying the biblical you know, framework and foundation about sexuality and gender and ethics and morals. And they're laying all this stuff out for the children, their child. Now in high school, we as parents still we're present, we're there, but I have to start allowing my children to make decisions for themselves. Okay. Because if I don't allow them to make mistakes and make decisions that I may not agree with in my own home, like when they're living with me, they will make those decisions and mistakes outside of our house when they're not living with me anymore. And I want them, if they're going to like, in other words, here's what I'm saying is if, if we never let them go out, right? Like, so they're never allowed to go hang out with their friends. Okay. Unless it's under my supervision. Right. That's a, that's just a terrible idea. Okay. Because at the core of it, what it's saying is I don't trust you. Right. Now, I may handle a freshman in high school a little differently than I do a senior in high school in terms of where are they, how late are they out, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But by the time they're a senior in high school, I mean, I 
I just have to. I'm not just saying I just swing wide the doors and go, well, do whatever you want to do. But what I'm saying also is that I'm trusting you to go. If you want to go be with your friends still, two o'clock in the morning, okay. But, you know, make wise decisions. So in this exercise that we are doing, with what I asked you initially, like, sh- like, would it be, does it does it make you a better Christian to have gone out and done sins? Does that make sense? Like, should sure. I, sh- it, you know, because they say like, hey, when you're a teenager, that's the time to get all your, I want to do stupid shit out. <laughs> and, and so should in order to be a better Christian later, should I be, should I be doing all the dumb things that I want to do in that period of time? No. Or should I not be aspiring to do that? Yeah. No, I don't think you have to do the stupid stuff just to avoid the stupid stuff later. Okay. All right. So let me, let me use my wife as an example. Okay. Okay. So she grew up in church mm. her whole life. Okay. And she got saved when she was an early, you know, early age teenager. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, had amazing parents that, you know, loved her, affirmed her, um, pointed her toward Christ. Uh-huh. She gets saved and then she, you know, lives the rest of her high school time as a Christian, uh-huh. following Jesus, goes to college, keeps following Jesus. You know, she's never gotten drunk. She never had sex before marriage. She, I mean, like all the things that we think about of like, oh, you need to go do all this stuff when you're a teenager mm-hmm. to go get it out of your system, one, or to go try it and you realize, oh, that's not as cool as I thought it would be. Right? Like she's like, she never smoked. She never did any of those things. And so, and yet she just still is radically following Jesus, you know, now in her forties. And I just think, I think it's a myth that we have to go out and just go crazy. So what do you think the the difference is between people that feel like they want to do that and then the ones that don't? Like, what was the difference? Was it their parents? Was it like innate things within their DNA or something that that made them not want to like what do you think that is you know it i have i have questioned that so many times okay because as a youth pastor you see these young people and they're in the youth group and they're there for like let's say they're they're in middle school mm. and then you see them go through high school and then graduate high school and you think they're completely on the right track and then they just go off the rails at some point mm. and you're like what was that like, what happened? I think some of it is, I think, statistically, a large reason for it, it a large reason for some individual, like, I want to phrase this, statistically, a large reason that people will just remain following Jesus through their whole, all their adolescence, teenage, you know, early, tw- early and mid-20s life without doing all this stuff. I feel the need to do all this stuff is that they will that they had parents that were stable 
that loved them, that affirmed them, that corrected them in love when they needed to be corrected, that had open and honest conversations with them. So you do see that as a pattern. Mm-hmm. Like statistically, that's a pattern. Okay. And, but that doesn't even have to do with just, to be honest, not even just with kids just following Jesus. Like, you, you know, statistically, when parents, when you have both parents involved in the child's life and there's a stable marriage and a stable home, the children generally just seem to be more stable and seem to be not as, quote unquote, kind of out there, you know, in mm-hmm. doing the stuff, crazy stuff, as others would be, you know. And because I think a lot of that is just getting back to God's design for for individuals. Now, I also know where that's been, where it's it's been true that you've got a single mom raising a, a child the best that they know how, and the child just thrives, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm not saying it has to just be the two parents, right? Um, so I think the parents do have a, I think they have, I, I will never argue this. Parents have the greatest influence of the direction of their children. Okay. Bar none. They have the greatest influence. But still, it even in that, it doesn't mean that you won't have a child that just says, you know, mom and dad, you've always loved me. You've always been there. You've always encouraged. You've always been for me but I'm walking away from your faith and I'm going to go do my own thing. Like that happens still. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's like this magic <laughs> formula. Um, and so, because again, as a youth pastor, as a pastor, I've, I've seen it go these different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I don't think there's this magic formula. Um, I think some of it may even have to do with personality bits and personality styles. Um, you know, if if an individual is more of a is more shy, more introverted, they're probably less likely to go out and do certain things mm-hmm. just because of their introvertedness. Um, and if they were already pointed toward Jesus and had a couple of friends that were, you know, really walking with them and following Jesus, they're probably just less likely to go out and do other things because they have what they need in friendships and in social life. Okay. And so, you know, your your extroverts who want to, you know, want to be around a lot of people, want to do a lot of things, want to just, you know, are tend to be a little more spontaneous. Let's try this. Let's go for this. Let's do this. I mean, you know, they're they tend to be the ones that if they're going to, you know, um, you know, if, if others are going to jump off a cliff, let's go jump off the cliff with them. Um, or, hey, there's a bunch of people going to be here. Let's go do that. Um, so I think personalities may have a little bit to do with it as well, but I, I just, so I don't think there's like this magic formula though, that tells us one way or the other. Okay. Yeah. So if one of your children went the other direction as you, mm-hmm. what would you think happened? That I, I believe that I would probably say that, you know, I, I knew this was a possibility. Okay. I knew it was a possibility that it, one of my kids may not follow Jesus when they get out of our household. Because you think you did everything perfectly? 
No, I know I didn't do anything perfectly. Okay. Like one of the jokes my wife and I have is like, what are our kids going to have to go see a counselor for later on? You know, <laughs> um, because no parent does it perfect. No parent does it all right. right. And so um, I think a huge part of parents when they know they didn't do it right and know that they did it wrong is just going and saying to their child, forgive, mm-hmm. forgive me. Forgive me for losing my temper. Forgive me for breaking a promise. Forgive me for forgetting that you had this, you know, um, thing today. Forgive me for not paying attention to you when you were asking for my attention and I was too caught up at work or caught up in the in my phone. Um, I think we have to be willing to own our own faults um, and the best that we can have conversations with our kids all the way through, right? Have a relationship where open communication can happen. But I think you can do all those things the best that you can. And and then you realize there's still just a possibility that one of my kids could walk away. And it's the most heartbreaking thing in the world to think about, right? Like, I don't even want to hardly go there in this conversation because it's hard to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know that, you know, we have laid a foundation as much as we can. We have shared and we have talked with our children. Um we try to engage both their hearts or their feelings, their emotions, and their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so even though like we have one child that's very, like I have one child that's very intellectual, and so I engage that particular child often with reasonable and intellectual conversations. But I also know that that there has to be conversations that go with the heart and the feelings for that child as well even though they may not be the most feeling-led individual. And then I have another child that's the exact opposite. And, and, and that child is much more into the feelings and much more of a creative. And so I have to engage the child with their feelings and their heart, and, but also engage them intellectually and with reason. So, you know, we try to engage both those parts with our kids. And so we, we do the best that we can with that. But at the same time, I just know that, you know, there is a possibility that one of our kids could walk away. And it's not because we did. Yeah. It's, it's not because we did anything perfect and they chose to. It's just because we, well, I know we did things wrong along the way and they chose to walk away from the Lord. If that's what they choose to do. And then we're just going to pray that they would return as heartbroken as we would be over that. We're 17 and I'm supposed to be looking at what I'm going to do with the rest of my life now. Perfect. In perfect Christian world, where are we at? What am I doing? I would say. Where am I trying to go? I would say stop trying to look at what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Okay. What do you, what? What? I think it's one of the great problems we have. Okay. Is that at 17 years old, we're asking kids to make decisions about what they're going to do for the rest of their life. I think it's a, that's a ton of pressure. Okay. And absolutely unneeded pressure. What you is, mean unneeded pressure that kids are just going to go screw that and then go the other direction? No, how many times did you change your, I don't know, maybe you never did. I mean, I changed my major in college and I know others did it well. I just don't think we know what we're going to do for the rest of our life when we're 17 years old. Okay. I just don't think we. I just don't think we know that. Uh, we may have areas where we're where we are passionate about, or that we have, um, 
you know, so I think we may have areas that we're passionate about at 17 years old. We have these interests in that we maybe even feel, you know, called to, quote unquote. And so I would say for that child at 17, if my child at 17, let's say I've got a, a child who's 17 years old and feels led to go and study biology, mm-hmm. okay? They want to be a scientist, okay, in some form or fashion. I go, great. So I will help them look, you know, all right, so if you want to go to school to be a biologist, we can look at that. Um, I will say this, just I'll throw this out there. I'm the biggest fan of a gap year ever of anyone. You probably. are? I'm a huge fan of a gap year. But what about the critics uh, who well, say that if you take a gap year, you'll never go back to school ever? I would say they need to go look into the research and why Harvard is actually saying they would prefer for all of their students to do a gap year before enrolling at Harvard. Yeah, but... That's Harvard saying that. So that's what I would say. Yeah, but that's Harvard saying right. that. And Harvard has the stats to back it up. So Harvard stats says, actually, that is a myth and not true. And the students that take a year come back, do they are more socially adjust, well-adjusted, emotionally well-adjusted, and do better in school. And, and the reason is, is because I think it gives a, uh, it gives a child an opportunity to go do something that before they ever get to college, trade school, job, right? Like, so, all right, so Like my, sins? No. <laughs> like, let's say they want to take a year or they want to take six to eight months, whatever it may be, and they want to go to a, a, a gap year program that focuses on... Uh, they want to go to like do like an internship mm. somewhere that focuses on. I was thinking about the science stuff, so I'm thinking about like intelligent design. Mm. And they want to go, you know, intern somewhere that lends itself toward that. And so they go in, intern there and get exposed to it. Okay, are you still interested in it afterwards or no? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just want to take a year and go serve in a third world country. And because now. It may be a little bit different from my kids. My kids have all been exposed to third world countries. So they've seen poverty. They've been there. Mm-hmm. And and so, but maybe they want to go, go to another country, third world country, and serve people that are in poverty for a year before going to their studies to help give them a, a better perspective of life and mm-hmm. the world, not just of their own life, but of the world and how they may want to use their life um, and their resources, you know, later on. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, or maybe they just want to go to a program and help them, you know, lay a, a more, you know, firm foundation where they're, where they are taking, you know, if they've not had the chance to, to really delve into things like apologetics or worldviews and, and really have a chance to really immerse themselves in that kind of community for a year I'm all for that. Outside of gap year, uh, yeah. Let's so you're going to college. All right, let's go to college. And you want to major in biology? Let's major in biology. Now let's find a school that that you believe that the Lord's called you to. We'll go do a lot of campus visits, and we'll figure you know what's going to make sense financially. What's going to make Lord? We feel the Lord's calling you to, and then let's go there. But I don't want them to go to the school thinking they're under the presupposition of I'm going here to study this because this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I just think very few 17-year-olds know that. 
Okay. So what I'm saying to my child is go there and study. If you love it and you're like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right. You found it. Let's go with it. Maybe it's not. And they're halfway through college. And they're like, dad, I want to I wanna go to trade. I want to go to trade school. I can't handle this. I got to work with my hands. And now you're five hundred thousand dollars in debt. Good luck working with your hands. <laughs> yeah. No, my kids nor I will be that much in debt, and um, and that's a whole another discussion of school costs. But so yeah, so I guess what I'm, all I'm saying is I want to encourage my children to follow where they believe the Lord's calling them to in that moment. Mm-hmm. I'm not negating that, but if they're in, they're in it for a year, two years, they're like, no, I. Uh-uh. I, I don't want to do this anymore. So, so I'm okay with that. They're still 17, though. Are you the one? You're, you're not You're not in control anymore. They're 17. They're 17. Okay. The only thing I'm in control of, to right. some degree, is where are they going to school and how are we handling the finances of this? Right. The financial component, it's not that I'm in control of it. It's that we're going to do this together. Okay. To make... To make a wise financial decision mm-hmm. so that when my kids graduate college, they're not tens of thousands or $100,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been the winner of this podcast. Uh, that was perfect. <laughs> Always is. <laughs> that perfect, perfect episode wrapped in a little bow. <laughs> I don't know about that. And it's it's done now. Okay. But next time I'm 18 and, or, you know, whoever's 18, and I get to take control of everything now. So what am I going to do? What would you tell me is the perfect thing to do? And what does my, how, how does my life go if I'm a perfect Christian for the rest of my controlled existence? Mm. So that's what next time's going to be. Interesting. So that'll be fun. Yeah, it will be. You can find the podcast on all major podcast network platform applications and websites. You can follow updates on the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at When I Heard This Podcast and Patreon, $5. Like all the buttons, subscribe to all the things. Uh, click all the buttons around the things, hit the notification bell and the follow button and uh, the like button, and you can bookmark the page in your web browser. That's fun to do. And all all the, you know, like it and pin it and, you know, everything. Share. Share it also. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Nate Robinsoff, and you can find Joseph on Instagram at Rev Joe T. This has been the When I Heard This Podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.